I think Chardonnay grows very well here, primarily because, well, it's, it's an early ripening grape, uh-huh. and given the right uh, site selections, I, I, don't, I think that's uh, a very good grape to grow here. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm here at Bazignani Winery, which is a little north of Baltimore, speaking to Bert Bazignani, the owner-operator of the storied winery in Northern Maryland. My name is Howard Fletcher, and this year's podcast is called The Number One Two. Why not go downtown for a bucket of nipple? Mac and cheese and a side of I want to go downtown for a bucket of deck bones They're right next door to the Tasty Free Bert Bazzagnani's grandparents actually made wine and he grew up drinking it uh, as probably most traditional Italian families did as, as he stated as food. Uh, in 1972, he was a student at Towson State University, and he bought 10 acres of farmland in Butler, Maryland. Uh, he wanted to take that farmland and create a vineyard, which he did. In 1974, he married his sweetheart, Lynn, and together they planted 60 vines, 10 vines of six different varieties. He began making wine using his grandmother's grape press, and his family and friends loved it. Uh, he's very good at making wine. So in 1984, he planted another six acres on adjoining land that he purchased, and he increased his production to eventually create Bazignani Winery. And so I had a great conversation with him about that process, about what he's doing, and the challenges of being a winemaker from very small beginnings to commercial production. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here at the Bazignani Winery. Uh, speaking to Bert Bazignani, I really appreciate you letting me come in and speak to you. I'm glad to do it. Good, good. Well, uh, I met your lovely wife, Lynn, and as I explained to her on Sunday when I met her, the reason I like to uh, do these podcasts is I like to be an advocate for uh, craft beverages in the Mid-Atlantic area, whether that be wineries, or craft breweries or distilleries, even though I haven't spoken to a distiller yet. But I especially like coming to wineries. Uh, One, because of the three beverages, I like that the best. And really secondly is I find that with wineries, a lot of times they're family-owned businesses. Uh, There's a family history to learn about. There's a history of the land to learn about and also history of the winemaking. So with that said, Please let my listeners know a little bit about your winery, how you got into the business, and um, we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I started out as a home winemaker, amateur winemaker, and uh, we did uh, establish a small vineyard, what they would call backyard vineyard, and so we just were starting out making wine for the family, uh, and then uh, we started making more and more wine, and I had was basically supplying family and friends with wine. Uh-huh. Uh, I was uh, exceeding the 200-gallon limit, and uh, I felt I was I felt necessary to uh, you know get legal. So we bonded the winery and uh, started from there. We planted more acreage as it went along. A lot 
of that acreage was actually going to other wineries like Woodhall. I uh -huh. bought some fruit from me. Um, so uh, that's how we're going to get started. Um, well, let me back up because I, I did look on your website. You had a little uh, family history on there. And you had some family tradition of making wine. Is that correct? Yeah. My, all my grandparents made wine. I uh -huh. skipped a generation when my parents. My dad never made wine. But uh, my grandparents did, uh, particularly my mom's parents who lived in Hershey. They're the ones that I knew the longest. Uh, and, uh, you know, they you know, just uh, made wine in the basement uh -huh. before the table uh -huh. uh, using the uh, best fruit they could get, which basically, you know, uh, Zinfandel and or uh, Muscat coming out of the Central Valley in California. Uh -huh. uh, so... I got a sense of winemaking. I mean, the uh, one of the attractions of wineries, I think, is the smells of the cellars, and uh, their cellar smelled like a little winery. I mean, huh. it was soaked into the bricks, and uh, uh, it just, you know, you can smell, you know, the barrels have a, a smell. Uh, the, the, it just has a lovely, lovely aroma, and especially during the fermentation, uh, it's very attractive. And, uh, I, you know, that sort of in, embeds itself uh, in, your, uh, in your memories. And uh -huh. uh, it, it's one of the attractions of, of making wine. Now, I saw that when you first started, you and your wife, uh, planting, you planted six varieties? Yeah, I think it was six. Yeah, something like that. I had, uh, we, we planted... Yeah, that's six different varieties. I, I, I got them out of the, the, the uh, Bordy Nursery catalog. Uh -huh. um, I, my memory's a little bit faded on it. Um, <laughs> I know we, we, it was a sm very, very small planting, uh, and we had decided to expand it to about an acre. Okay. And at that point, uh, someone, uh, actually it was my dentist who was also a home wine maker, introduced me to Ham Mowbray, and Ham looked over my list of what I was ordering. He had me alter it uh, somewhat. Now, uh, why did you choose, do you remember why you chose those particular varieties when you first started out? Were they just wines that you uh, You know, liked? you read the catalog, you read the kind of wines it makes. Right. Uh, uh, they seemed attractive for what uh, I was trying to do. They were all French hybrids. That's what uh -huh. uh, Phil Wagner was, was right. doing back then. Uh, and you know, you, you just like any seed catalog, you you read the description, <laughs> and if it sounds like something you you want, you you go for it. Uh, well, whereas Ham had real world experience with some sure. of these vines, he had been through uh, many of them, and he had settled on what he thought were some of the better varieties. Uh, like very early on, he urged me to plant Chambresin, save all. Uh, there was a hybrid called Ravat 262, which made a really nice wine, but it, it wouldn't last, the vine wouldn't last more than 10 years. We, I, I, I think today, if I could, if I could find um, stocks of it, I'd like to try it, graft it, because it really made a nice wine. And huh. I think it probably had a little bit too much vinifera in it to grow on its own roots. Right. Uh, so it was an interesting trial, but he warned me off of it. He said, It'll make nice wine, but you'll lose it within about 10 years, which, you know, came true. I saw that on in one of your blends, there was a folk grape? Fauche. Fauche. Yeah. 
uh, which I was not familiar with. I am not familiar. Well, with. it was grown years and years ago. It was grown a little bit more prolifically. Um, it, it's fallen out of favor. We don't have a lot of it planted. Uh -huh. I know uh, Ham liked it. He used to make what he's called his garnet. Uh -huh. um, it it was a it had great fruit, uh, but it was it was dicey because it 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 was it went into malolactic fermentation very easily, uh -huh. and. Uh, often in the bottle, which gave it its really terrible reputation because it was nasty once that happened. Oh. Uh, but if you could get get it in the in the bottle uh, and keep it from going through malolactic, it had lovely fruit and uh, it was very attractive. But uh, it was hit or miss uh -huh. back in those days. Uh, so it, it fell out of favor. We still use it in the blend. We do let it go through the malolactic, but we, we blend it in with some a little bit of Chancellor. But the base wine is still Chambresin. I noticed that you, uh, it, well, when I came Sunday and I did the tasting, I did the dry tasting, which it seemed was heavy on Chambresin. Like there, was a, there were a lot of your blends, and plus you uh, bottle up straight Chambresin. Yeah. Uh, is that because that's primarily what you grow, or is that because you, you I know you mentioned that when you first did your replanting, you invested yeah, in that. Yeah, we, when, we, when we decided to expand, we certainly included Chambresin in mm. that expansion and have continued to do that. Plus, it's widely available uh, from good growers. So yes. if, you, if, you, if you need fruit, you need red fruit, um, you know, you can get some good stuff uh, from uh, from good growers, uh -huh. I'm going to emphasize good growers, because um, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that well, just are not good growers, so yeah, let's put it well, that way. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't make good wine out of bad No, grapes. you have to have good fruit, and uh, so, but Chambersen is a, a real workhorse, makes a good wine uh, almost every year, even in poor to midland years, it'll make a pretty decent wine, uh -huh. so... Um, and in really good years, it makes an excellent wine. So we like to use it in the blend. We use it in two of our blends, the, the, the sweet version, the Marisa Dolce, and it's just the dry Marisa. Uh -huh. uh, there is a Marisa Reserve, which is 100% Chambresin. Uh -huh. When you made the jump from just being a family winery, just garage winery, as you say, and uh, deciding to go into production to get bonded and sell retailing, um, did, what did you find were your challenges as far as your, you know, your investment in infrastructure? And was there anything that caught you by surprise? Like if you did it again, you would know not to do that. Well, the production and, you know, I mean, we were kind of seat of the pants. I mean, we, a lot of our equipment is used and, uh -huh. you know, we kind of incrementally built up the equipment. So uh, as we needed it, tanks, sure. presses, things like that, I was always buying secondhand stuff, uh, wherever I could find it. Uh -huh. Um, so there wasn't any real surprise. The, the, what really caught me off guard was the um, the challenges of actually selling the wine. <laughs> that, mm. that I d hadn't really even thought it through. Uh, right. When I was making the change from just grower to winery, my thinking was, well, you know, growing grapes is the hard part. Making wine is the easy part. Right. Uh, but I didn't take it the next step, <laughs> which was the other hard part is selling the wine, you know, uh -huh. marketing, getting getting uh, people to uh, separate wineries that are, that some quality wines actually can be made in the area. Yeah, well, that's actually a good segue into what I wanted to 
discuss next because you mentioned getting bonded and um, dealing with the laws or what you have to do in order to become a professional uh, or a commercial producer of wine. Um, is there anything, since we're just going into election season and I will be doing some reporting in Annapolis, that's why I'm kind of focused on this, is there anything that they can do in the legislature uh, that you would like to see happen that would make it easier for you to distribute small to mid-sized people? Well, I suppose really the, uh, if, I think the marketing of Maryland wines needs to be improved. And if, uh -huh. if, if, the, if the legislature could get behind that with some dollars, that certainly would help. I mean, um, we, we don't share a large part of the uh, total wine market here in uh -huh. Maryland. Um, it hasn't, it's grown uh, incrementally. However, with the number of new wineries in, we haven't grown it enough to, uh, to really help the wineries in, in those efforts. So I'd say that would be the biggest thing they could do for us, uh -huh. is, is to get get a real serious marketing program on board um, and another area I'd like to see probably is to local wineries using you know uh, make make actually making wine from from fruit or juice uh, and uh, as opposed to some of the wineries that are just using um, concentrates and bulk wines and uh -huh. things like that just marketing using the area as, uh, as just a, a, a retail store for themselves. Right. I, I think that there needs to be a separation of uh, those types of wineries from uh, real you know, growers and, and real wineries making real wine. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that might be a frustration that is not exclusive to this area. I, I hear that I recently took a trip down to Texas, and as you can imagine, you know, there's not a whole lot of grapes being grown in Texas, but there are some. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you have wineries, some very large wineries or wine producers that get their grapes from out of state mm -hmm. and other places. And the people who are actually growing the grapes in Texas are frustrated yeah. because they want to develop a... Well, I, I, don't, I don't think there's... I think in, in some cases it's, it's appropriate to, to source some fruit from out of state. Uh -huh. uh, but... I think there ought to be limits on it. Right. Uh, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, just uh, climatic issues come up and you need to source fruit. If you have a terrible year here and, and, and production is down, you certainly need to be able to get fruit somewhere, uh -huh. especially from contiguous states, uh, like Pennsylvania, Virginia, that sort of thing. Uh -huh. um, I think that needs to be a, uh, an option, available option to, to wineries. You've got to be able to produce something. Right. And uh, to stay in business. So uh, I get that. But it kind of almost reminds me of like the, uh, the situation like with honey. You know, there's not enough bees in the whole world to produce the kind of honey that's on the market today. Right. So where's it coming from? Well, it's sort of honey, but it's not real honey. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit of honey, a little bit like honey. Okay. Um, well, <clears throat> speaking about regions, uh, what I wanted to ask you, because this is... You're the first winery I've spoken to uh, in Hunt Valley proper, I guess. And um, not that there are a lot, but there are some other ones. 
Um, is there, uh, uh, what, what grows well here as opposed to what's grown, say, west of here uh, in the Shenandoah Valley or east of here, like in Mount Airy? Is mm -hmm. there a, are there grapes that are better? Yeah, I, I, I really think Chardonnay grows really well here. Uh -huh. I've heard people say good Chardonnay, good Chardonnay can't be made in the state. And I'm thinking, well, what are they thinking of? Uh, I think that's wrong. Uh, we grow, we have two vineyards that grow Chardonnay. Mm here at the winery and another one not at a farm not too far from here. Okay. Um, both of the wines are very different. We we blend them uh -huh. and they, they blend together very well. They kind of uh, make up for some individual deficiencies. They kind of come together as a really nice blend. So uh -huh. I think Chardonnay grows very well here primarily because, well, it's, it's an early ripening grape uh -huh. and given the right uh, site selections, I, I, don't, I think that's uh, a very good grape to grow here. Chambresin, naturally. There's a lot of good Chambresin growing around here. Um, there's a vineyard not too far from here that grows some really good, good Chambresin. Um, he's just a grower, not even a winery. Uh -huh. um, out in the west, like, you know, the Mount Airy, Frederick County, Washington County, uh -huh. I, I think Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, uh -huh. really good, good growing uh, area for those two. For some reason, it seems to ripen ahead of the Cabernet here, which <laughs> is kind of an enigma to me because if you look at some of the tables, you know, the number of degree days, say, in Baltimore County is more than, say, Frederick or uh, Washington counties. So why are they ripening ahead of us? <laughs> I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. And, and no one's been able to answer that question. But, you know, it's there. There's good fruit grown out there. And uh -huh. uh, if you can source it, if you have a source of uh, a good grower out there uh -huh. for those two varieties, I'd say grab it. It's uh -huh. good stuff. Uh -huh. So you pretty much use all of your grapes. I mean, are, or are you sourcing to somebody? No, we're grapes? sourcing. We're buying some fruit from. Uh, well, there's one grower out in Washington County provides us with the doll. Uh, there's one in Carroll County provides us with the doll. No, but are you selling grapes to anybody? Or oh, do you no, use all of no, your grapes? I, I, I have. Um, I sold some Chardonnay a few years ago. Uh, depending on what we get this year, I might consider selling some Chardonnay uh -huh. uh, because I've got a fair amount of inventory of wine, and I've got you know a good amount right in my cellar right now. Huh. Uh, so I was a little I was a little worried about whether or not we were going to have a decent crop of, uh, of Chardonnay this year because of the, the first part of the winter was so cold, right? And it's a pretty tender variety, but. Uh, Looking at after the flowering and the berry set, looks like we've got a, a, a pretty good uh, pretty good crop out there. Of course, we're a long way from harvest; anything sure. can happen. Uh, sure. So we'll see. Sure. Uh, we might consider selling some fruit. It, it just uh, it's year by year. We don't do it often. Yeah. Well, you spoke to how uh, unpredictable things are, so this is probably going to be an unfair question. But is there anything on the horizon you see that might affect the grapes that you grow? as far as, I don't know, climate, cost of goods sold, or just the market, you know, well, what you can sell? Well, the market is always uh, an issue. Uh, you know, we don't know. It's, it's tough. It's an enigma. I mean, we, we've, we've experienced some, some drop in sales for the last couple of years. We can't explain it. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of our sales to uh, retail licensees has fallen off. We've we, we just we just can't explain that. Uh, we don't know why. Uh, our festivals have, have not uh, uh, 
done as well for us in retail sales as they used to. And there's a couple of reasons, we think. Maybe one, because there's a lot more wineries. Sure. That's certainly a, a, a factor. Um, there may be other issues. We don't know. Maybe it's just, just a market change, you know? Uh-huh. Um, different tastes. You know, people's cha- tastes change. Right. So they, and their, their habits change. So we don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, so those are some of the marketing challenges. As far as climatic, well, you don't know. I mean, right. Yeah, 97. Okay, so I'm out at the baseball field, and it's June, mm-hmm. okay? And it's it's so cold, I'm wearing a leather coat. And I'm thinking to myself, is it ever going to get warm? And it did. And it got, it was like, after that, it was like this perfect season. Right. So right now, we're experiencing this kind of weird, wet weather, which actually was kind of like, it's kind of a repeat of last year where we had a lot of wet weather. Uh, so you don't know. I mean, it, it could turn around. It could be turning around and be a, a great year for us, or it could be go along like last year did, and we were saved at the end of having a disastrous year by some heat and dry weather right at the end of the season. So uh, you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. I mean, you know, I always say it's better to finish strong than start <laughs> strong. So uh, we had a very late bud break this year, which I actually don't mind so much. You start out a little bit behind, but you, you at least you avoid a, a late spring frost. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Right now, we're trying to stay ahead of the funguses <laughs> because there's so much wet weather. But, uh, you know, we're, we're always hopeful that the weather's going to turn nice and warm and dry and we'll, we'll finish out the year with uh, some really good ripe fruit. Okay, so you grow Chambers on. Mm-hmm. Foch? Yeah. And Chardonnay? Yeah. And what else? Chancellor, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc. And we've been experimenting with Nebbiolo. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, well, you've talked a little bit about distribution and uh, about uh, the challenges of stores carrying your brand or whatever, but tell the listeners uh, how they can find your wine. Where can they go get your wine? Oh, it's a better question for my son-in-law who handles the marketing, but uh, most of the better wine shops in the Baltimore metro area should have it, I would say. Uh, we have markets in, in Howard County, Hartford County, uh, in Arundel, uh, uh, Baltimore City. So uh, we get out a little bit beyond that. We have some, some you know, small markets in Southern Maryland, Eastern Shore. Uh, not much as you head west. Uh, very little in Frederick, and maybe one store in Washington County. That's pretty much it. Right. They should come to the winery. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I want them to, to. I want them to go to the retailers too. I mean, yeah. we'd like to see them. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I don't want to exclude my retailers. I mean, I, I, I need those guys. I need them to buy and sell our wine right so you know i don't want to i mean yeah we we want to sell wine here we'd like to sell a lot of the wine here but we want them when they're not here to go to the retailers and buy it right right uh, okay uh i think there's there might be a list on the website i'm not sure there is okay so there's there's, you know they go to the website they can they can look for a store and you know if they have a favorite store and they're not carrying us they can ask for their the, you know the proprietor to give us a call absolutely. and we'll get it to him absolutely absolutely okay this uh the last part we're going to go to is a thing i call last call it's just a 
personal questions to you about mm -hmm. your preferences with wine. Yeah. Um, is there any particular grape that you like over your years of uh, growing grapes, like to grow the best or like making wine? Well, I like Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc. Cabernet Franc because it, uh, it, it makes a lovely wine. Uh, we don't make it as a varietal. We use it in, in a blend mm -hmm. uh, either with Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, strictly with Cabernet Sauvignon. We used to have Merlot. We had a grower that provided Merlot to us. Good vineyard, but he bonded his winery, so I can't get the fruit anymore. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I like those. I, I've never... I've never grown Pinot Noir. I love the grape. I love, I like Burgundy. I like what uh, uh, Fred Wilson's doing with it up at Elk Run. I think he's doing a nice job with his, his Pinot Noir. Um, it's a little more dicey. Uh, it's not as adaptable as Cabernet Sauvignon. Let's yeah, put it that way. It doesn't, you know, it, doesn't grow, it doesn't grow as well in as many places as Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Franc. Uh, I don't have any experience really with the other Bordeaux varieties like Malbec or Petit Verdot, although... A lot of people growing them are very happy with them. Uh -huh. So, um, since I'm a red wine drinker, those are the that's the okay. the, the, the grape I would the two grapes that I would uh, say are my my favorites here. Okay, okay. Um, is uh, um, your family has a tradition of winemaking at least a, a generation back, and I imagine during the course of drinking that wine, there's a lot of good food that was being uh, shared with it and paired with it. Is there yeah. a, a wine food pairing that you particularly care for i know that you probably have a lot to choose from but yeah uh well of course in my family you know wine was just part of the table sure. you know that's sure. how we grew up mm -hmm. uh it was not cocktail it wasn't just for quaffing uh <laughs> it was food right and that's how we viewed it and that's how i grew up with it so a lot of different pairings but i don't think you could top a nice good hearty red wine with a steak yes uh yeah. but you know i i you know you know i ate a lot of pasta too with some red wines and uh in my my life so those are some things i love too is you know pasta dishes with uh, with wines oh uh grilled salmon with uh chardonnay mm. i love that yes um or even a you know okay chardonnay and a good crab cake uh, uh, so yeah, uh, we're in Maryland. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Soft shell crab sandwich. Yeah. You mentioned some other wineries and some other winemakers that you like what they're doing. Uh, is there one in particular? It doesn't have to be local. It could also be national or international. Is there a winery or a winemaker that you really admire what they're doing? Oh yeah. Uh, well, on the national scene, of course. Um, you know, Angelo Gaia, one of my, my wine heroes. Okay. Ham Mowbray, of course, who was one of my mentors. Was, uh, he's long gone now, but he certainly was my mentor, and I admired his winemaking and his, his uh, I admired his, pa I admired his palate, too. He was a wonderful palate. Uh -huh. so. uh, Paul Draper, uh, out in uh, California, uh -huh. I, uh, at Ridge. I, I, yeah. He's, again, one of my, my wine heroes. Uh, Marcel Gigal. Uh, great winemaker. So um, here locally, uh, you know, um, guys, I better be careful here. I don't want to hurt anybody's <laughs> feelings. I already mentioned Fred. Uh, uh, they're obviously they're making very good wines up at Black Ankle. Uh, uh, 
All right. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. You know, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll let's leave, leave it, it at that. that. In yeah. fact, I'm, I'm yeah. going to speak to yeah. them, actually, next week. So that, that, I'll let them know that you think that. Um, and the last question is, if you were chosen to represent the state of Maryland, Bassiani Winery, and uh, you had to take two of your bottles of wine to compete against other winemakers in the country, what bottles would you take? Well, I... I I would particularly take the 2015 Chardonnay, which uh-huh. is current in our, in our current vintage. Which it's running down. We'll probably be out of it by the fall. That's uh, been a very nice wine for us, a lovely wine. Uh, it's a good vintage and showing very well right now. Uh, and I would take our uh, 2013 Lorenzino, which is also showing very well right now. Um, so those are the two I would bring. Okay. Yeah. All right, Bert Baziani, I'd like to thank you for being on the show. Uh, the mic is yours. If there's anything you'd like the listeners to know about you or your winery, uh, I would certainly uh, recommend that they come and visit. Uh, I had a great time uh, last uh, Sunday, and I would agree with you that we need, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. I think we need to market Maryland wine, Virginia wine, mid-Atlantic wine, much better, do a much better job of doing it because you all are producing some excellent stuff. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I think, I think Virginia does a great job of marketing their wines. I, uh, I think if our Maryland legislature wanted to look at uh, the right way to do it, I'd say look at, look at what Virginia's done. And, uh, and there it is. But they, they've heard that, all that before. So uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, it's like throwing seeds on rocks. Well, it's going to be a new, and you know, new group in the fall. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> <laughs> some new, some new. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I'll be seeing you soon. Take care. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you. And that's the end of another episode. I'd like to thank you very much for listening. I want to thank a few people for making this whole thing possible. First, the owners and operators of Bassignani Winery, Bert and Lynn Bassignani. I appreciate your time, and I look forward to the next time I come to visit. If any of you listening are ever in the vicinity of Baltimore County, or if you're just a lover of wine, I would recommend that you visit their winery and say hello. It's in Sparks, Maryland. I'd also like to thank the regulars. Mom, thank you for having me and for being my stabilizer and rock. I'd like to thank the notorious JMZ, Joan Zimmerman. Thank you for your support and your suggestions. Your assistance is invaluable. And Jack, you're the best pug a guy could ever want. Whenever you, wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Blueberry, or wherever, please give us a rating and give us some feedback. It's a small thing, but it helps us a ton. Also, look for our Facebook page, the number one, two, and like us when you go there, and follow us on Instagram as well. All of our music, including our theme music, Tasty Freeze, is created, produced, and supplied by Cadillac Grip. If you're ever in Denver or Boulder, Colorado, go see Cadillac Grip play. Because if you ain't hip to the grip, you just ain't hip. The number one two podcast is written, recorded, engineered, produced, and screwed up by me. I'm Howard Fletcher. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Cut that out. Cut it out, yeah. yeah. Uh, Where was I? Uh, 97. Oh, yeah. Well, I I was kind of an assistant coach at one of his baseball, Larry, my son's baseball team. I remember... (laughs)